0: Week 18, developing replaceables. Well, continuing in our study of Acts, Apostle Paul and Barnabas have just taken a stand for good, solid teaching and not letting that teaching be mixed with old theologies and old habits and old ways. And last week we talked about lining everything up up we called it lining up lining everything up about ourselves with God and how to handle disagreements that there can be disagreements in the church on practice but not necessarily truth. Paul and Barnabas were taking a stand saying practice can disagree on but truth cannot be disagreed on. We cannot um, simply say you can have your truth and I can have my truth. There is only one truth. There is the way, the truth, and the life. And we talked about how to have a disagreement on practice but standing firm and lining up everything so that we not mix truth with old opinions or old ways or old theologies. And the the disagreement in practice not truth because Paul and Barnabas should strong in truth but Paul and Barnabas did at the end of chapter 15 have a disagreement in practice and what happened was Paul and Barnabas uh separated and went on two different paths because of a disagreement on who they would take with them on this ministry assignment Um, but for the same cause they both wanted to give God glory So Paul is now accompanied, not by Barnabas, but a man who stayed behind, who came to help them address the issue of old teachings mixing in in good, solid teaching, a man named Silas. Paul and Silas are now together, and Paul is about to begin his second missionary journey. So we pick up in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Paul went first to Derbe and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by, his, uh, by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In, in deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left. For everyone knew that his father was Greek. Now, this is interesting because in the previous chapter, the whole disagreement on practice and truth was centered around circumcision. Some people believed you had to be circumcised to be saved, and some believe no, that has nothing to do with salvation. It is simply a practice that some believe, and it does not make you right. Salvation is the only thing that makes you right. So, this right here, Paul was saying, um, we, Paul was arranging for Timothy to be circumcised, not for the purpose of salvation, but we're going to find out tonight what the purpose was. Verse 4. Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. So their churches were strengthened in their faith, and they grew larger every day. Now, let me set the scene. Paul already had great success in Derbe and in Lystra. Many came to believe and the crowds even tried to, if you remember, the crowds even tried to honor Paul and Barnabas as pagan gods, and they were going to work, offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. This was their first missionary journey. Obviously, Paul and Barnabas spoke truth, and they, they did not receive the glory. They pushed the glory to God. And this right here, after that, it, this is about five years after Paul and Barnabas finished their first missionary journey, and they got to rest after all of this time of ministry. So they were going back in the towns that they had great success in, and Timothy was there from the very same town in lystra that 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 they were stoning paul if you remember they stoned paul almost to death some believe maybe to death but paul did not get stoned and then leave if you read the text if you remember a couple weeks ago when i preached this Paul, after he got stoned, he went back into the town because the only thing that was going to move him was not what people did to him or how people received him or how people rejected him. The only thing that was going to move him was the voice of God. And there are too many times in our lives where we get moved by the wrong things. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and what? Immovable do not be moved. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Nothing you do for God is ever useless. Therefore, be strong and immovable. The only thing that should move you, the only thing that should move us, is God's voice. Even when it seems useless, because I can imagine that when Paul preached and gave them the the message of the gospel in lystra and he got stoned i'm sure it seemed to him or others that it was useless because they didn't receive it they stoned them they wanted him dead they didn't want him to get in the city i'm sure it seemed useless but the scripture tells us when we're aligned with god when we're doing everything under the voice of god even when it seems useless it's not because nothing you ever do under his leading is without cause And in that push through, even though it seemed like there's no point in going back, people took notice. Paul went back. He said, I am not going to let the worst of circumstances move me. And the testimony of an immovable Paul built a legacy in people. The people took notice, and it says at the end of the chapter, a couple chapters ago, that the people in Lystra, the believers who received it, which was, may, may have been a small group of believers in, in retrospect to the town, they were strengthened. And one such person in that town who took notice of this immovable Paul was a young man named Timothy. Timothy was very grounded in the word. He was a believing young man. And seeing a strong man in Paul, he said, that strong man in God That makes me want to draw closer to the God that he worships. And I wonder, as I'm reading that passage, if the reason why we see weak faith in new generations is because all they see are Christians who get moved by everything. Therefore, the legacy we leave, that that we're leaving these younger generations, the people that are coming after us, is this whole God thing don't work. Instead of leaving a legacy of God is more real than the air I breathe. You see, Paul left a legacy in the push-through that Timothy said, this guy's for real and this God's for real, so even though he's not staying, I'm going to press in and build a relationship with this God. And there are so many people who see Christians that are moved by every um, change of the wind, if you will, that people are losing faith in God because we represent how immovable our God is and how strong our God is. And when people see us back up and in fear and changing every whisper of the wind, and I heard God say this and I heard God say that, and it seems like God is more bipolar than anyone else, that that, that no one is taking faith in a God that seems like he cannot make up his mind. So Paul takes notice of this Timothy. Because Timothy, in taking notice in Paul, has grown strong in his faith because the legacy that Paul left in Lystra to these believers was God is strong, God is immovable, and if that man has the faith to walk back into a town purely under the voice of God, that God must be awesome. That God must be strong. I want to build a relationship with that. Paul takes notice and says, Timothy, come with me. Now remember... Barnabas just left with John Mark, and Paul took Silas. And now with Silas, Paul sees an opportunity. I need to raise him up, because I will not be here forever. Paul was just stoned. He had gone through threats and in jail. And I think Paul in this passage is starting to realize, I'm not going to last forever. And I need to raise up someone that can do what I do, and even to a greater degree of what I do. I need to raise him up because no single worker in the kingdom of God is irreplaceable. And we have got to get out of this mindset in the church that today is only about today. Paul knew, well, I just lost one, I've got to make sure that I raise up my replaceables. Someone shout replaceables. I need to raise up my replaceables. I need to not only focus on my call, but I also need to build my legacy, I need to make sure that in my absence, there are replaceables that can carry the message and the gospel that God has sent me to do, the ministry that God has put in me, because God is not just about you, he is about the body of Christ, he is about uh, winning back the whole earth, the whole world, every person, he wants us to, to, to build something that is not based on a person, that is not based on one idea, but in order to do that, In order for God to get glory is we have to build a a legacy and start developing replaceables that in our absence what God started in us will continue because you are replaceable. You're not irreplaceable. And we tend to think in the church, well, that pastor is the greatest pastor, that preacher is the greatest preacher, and all of a sudden when we lose one, it's like people lose faith and we say, what are we going to do? Because we are building things off of a man instead of with the intentionality of a legacy that will sustain the ministry that maybe one man started. Is this okay? No single worker is irreplaceable in the kingdom of God. Paul knew, I need to not only focus on my call, but build a legacy. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 10 says this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands, wear them on your forehead as reminders, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. There is a call to make sure people are seeing what is true and good. The Lord your God, verse 10, will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The passage in my Bible, this whole passage of Deuteronomy 6, is called a call for wholehearted commitment. Wholehearted. And the way it says at the end of this that they were going to walk into cities that they did not build. The way you walk into the promises of God, maybe the promises that you didn't help make, but God said, I've got this for you. I've got this call for you. I've got this business for you. I've got this goal for you. Maybe you built it. Maybe you didn't. Maybe it's in your lifetime. Maybe you're building something that your kids get to walk in. David spent an entire lifetime building a a, a kingdom under God just so that his son Solomon would walk into a palace with the plans already. He didn't have to do anything. He just had to walk into it. And sometimes people are supposed to be walking into a promise that they did not build. And the only way that's going to happen is by walking in a wholehearted commitment. And the whole commitment is just not a commitment to yourself. It is a legacy that you build and you leave behind. How do you leave behind? Creating disciples, raising up replaceables. The disciples that you raise could be the replaceables for you. Finding the sons and daughters yearning for your ear and your voice. There are so many people with giftings, giftings to create, giftings to play music. Get things to preach and teach, get things to evangelize, get things to start businesses, get things to do all these sorts of things. And we get so caught up in, in our talents that we forget the point of me having this is not just for me, not just for my livelihood, but God has called me to raise up someone to replace something in me. And I need to invest everything I have into the sons and the daughters that God has called me to raise. For some of you, that's your kids that you have right now. But for some of you, that is people in houses of worship, in churches, that 16-year-old kids and 14-year-old kids or 30-year-old men, they, they see something in you that they want to do, and we're so self-focused and so self-centered that we don't pour ourselves into these people and raise up, irre- and raise up replaceables for the you that is not irreplaceable. It seems so often in the church that when someone leaves, we have an empty spot. And if we really tackle this thing wholeheartedly, as Deuteronomy 6 tells us, when you leave, no one should miss you. Because you are not just about yourself, you're trying to raise up a replaceable. Let's read verse 3 again of Acts chapter 16. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey, in deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was not a Greek. Paul was not arranging for Timothy to be circumcised for salvation. You see, Timothy's mom was Jewish and was a, and was a believer, so Timothy was Jewish by law, but his father was an unbelieving Greek. So Paul said, there is a hindrance in you, Timothy, that could prevent people from receiving you and where you're called to go. Paul knew and if they were going to go into Jewish synagogues, they would not listen to a thing Timothy said because he was not fully Jewish because of the law of circumcision. It had nothing to do with salvation. But Paul said, we need to remove something. We need to cut something, literally, figuratively. We have got to cut something away that could be a hindrance to people receiving you. And there are so many of us that have too many things that we're too proud of that we don't cut it off when God may be calling you to humble yourselves for the sake of people receiving the word of God in you. I, 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 I was guilty of this at times. I, I'm a, everyone who knows me knows that I'm a flip-flop guy that I, didn't, I do not like to wear shoes, and if I don't, you don't see it right now in the video camera, but I've been wearing shoes since I started Relentless. Before that, I would actually turn down preaching commitments because they said, you can't wear flip-flops on stage. And it seems really elementary and stupid, but for me, it was a big thing because I cared about my comfortability more than their, their need to hear a, a message that God put in me. And I had to get to a place where I needed to just cut off my, I'm only going to wear flip-flops, And wear shoes to get to a place where if that was a hindrance, what do I care more about? A hindrance that I'm proud of or humbling myself to do something that might be uncomfortable so that they receive the word. And I know that that's a very elementary picture. But you apply that to any area of your life that, well, this is me, this is who I am. Well, I'm doing this lifestyle, and if they're too weak to receive it, that's their issue. No, 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 no. Are you keeping in mind that everything you do could be affecting someone else, and you are so wholeheartedly committed to the overall gospel of the kingdom of God that you're willing to take anything away that could be a hindrance to someone receiving you as a child of God, as a representative of God? as someone who carries the Holy Spirit and is a temple? Are you willing to throw all that aside so that you would have an opportunity to develop replaceables? And when they did that, look at verse 4. After Timothy got circumcised, they went from town to town instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem so the churches were strengthened in their faith and they grew larger every day. The legacy that Paul and Timothy and Silas left, they strengthened the people they were called to so that those people did not have to rely on man-centered methods. They prospered and grew even in the absence of Paul and Timothy and Silas because Paul was focused on one thing. We're developing replaceables. And there are too many leaders in the church who are scared to develop ones that can do what they do Because if we're honest about it in the church, we care more about position than the sustained work of God. And I'm telling you that as your pastor and as the overseer of Relentless Church, I care more about the sustained work of God than my position. My goal in Relentless is that there will be a day that nothing could be attributed to Kyle Garrison. I pray that we walk into a day where we see people where we are developing replaceables that there are teachers who are better than I could have ever thought of, visionaries who are better than me, people who can do what I do to the nth degree. And we should all take that mindset. When you see someone with potential, you want to invest because you realize I'm not irreplaceable. I need to develop a replaceable. I need to I need to take what I know and pour it into a son or a daughter whether that be a, a literal son and daughter or a figurative son, figurative son or daughter in the faith. The next few verses in Acts chapter 16, verses six to eight, it says this. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them. Y'all, y'all catch that? The Holy Spirit prevented them from what? From preaching the word. That's strange to me. The Holy Spirit prevented them from preaching the word? It says, the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. And then coming to the borders of of, of, of Mysia, Mysia, whatever you want to say, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. Interesting. The Holy Spirit prevented them from a good thing, preaching the word in Asia and Bithynia. Why? Why would the Holy Spirit prevent them from preaching the word in Asia and Bithynia? Because as great as Paul was, he was not the right person for the right place at the right time for the gospel to go into these areas. Want to know why we need to develop replaceables? Because not everything is your call. I feel like I have a call to develop people. And there will be times when I feel like I want to give a word here or go there. But I have to listen to God's voice because maybe God's going to say no because I'm realizing it's not about me. It's the, the, the call that I want to go could be a call for someone else. And the way that I get the the, the word into the place that I want it to go may not be through me but developing a replaceable developing a disciple developing someone that will be called to go to that place that I want to go but I'm not called to go and what if the replaceable you're developing is meant to touch and change things that you would fail in but pride doesn't want us to believe that pride wants us to think well I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what if all things doesn't mean you in it? What if doing all things in Christ who strengthens you means the way you get to that place is being humble enough to develop the one that Christ is doing all things through you to get there? What if all things through you is, is, a, is a flow to someone else? And the reason they are equipped to go to the place that you were never called to was because you did that. Therefore, you did all things. Because the body of Christ gets the credit and not just the man. Is this making sense? And let me just say this. We always look for open doors. But the Holy Spirit guides you just as much and with closed doors as open ones. And in the church, we're always about look for the open doors, but we also need to look for the closed ones. We need to receive that. We we always take closed doors as a negative thing. But closed doors prevent you from wasting time in an area that you're not called to go to. Embrace a closed door. I, 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 people say that closed doors are, are you know, we, we're, we're looking for answer prayers. Where's the open door? What if the answer prayer is the door closing? Look what happens when Paul understands that even though he wants to go to Asia, it's not his call. Look what happens in Acts 16, verses 9 through 10. That night, Paul had a vision a man from Macedonia and northern Greece was standing there pleading with him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. This is a dream. So we decided to leave from Macedonia at once. Someone shout at once. At once. Having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. A no to Asia was a path to take the gospel to Europe. And this was actually the first missionary journey to that continent. And the man the dream said, I need help. And the answer came in, you need Jesus. So it says they left at once. They left at once. I wonder, are you, are we in a position where we can leave at once when God calls us? How can we position ourselves for that? Developing replaceables. Because there are often times when God may call you to go in a moment, but we can't leave at once, Because if we leave our position, there is no one there to fill it. And on the other side of that, what if God wants you to leave at once, but he cannot let you go because you haven't taken the time to develop the replaceable so that you can leave? And I believe that's a word for some of you because some of you are always, well, I am so ready to leave this job. Have you spent the time to develop a replaceable that God will bless you with a leave? I, I, I'm ready to, to transition out of this church. Have you developed a replaceable so that you can transition? I'm ready to move from this ministry to the next. Have you de- are you developing replaceables? Are you raising disciples? Are you raising your Timothy? Are you pouring everything you are into someone that can do you, your job, do your ministry, do your calling, and do it even better? Because wholehearted commitment, according to Deuteronomy, is to teach it to your children and, and, and make it known in everything you do. Continuing on, I hope this is okay. In Acts chapter 16 verse 11 through 15, we boarded a boat at Troas. Or remember they left immediately. So it says we boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace, and the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath We went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home, and she urged us until we agreed. Notice it says that the Lord opened her heart. John 6, says, For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day I will raise them up. It is not your job to convince people. As they listen, God will work their hearts to receive what you're saying on his behalf. Your role is not to convince. Your role is to not get people saved. Your role is to listen to his calling, go where he sends, not where you want to go, and speak what he directs. And if you do that, he will prepare their hearts and open it to receive what you're supposed to say. And the fruit of all this, the woman immediately had a ministry of hospitality to these men who were faithful in a call and they did not have any plans of where they would stay going to a province they'd never been to called Europe. Isn't that amazing? The need for them was locked up in a calling that at first Paul didn't want to go on. (laughs) And there are so many needs for you that you want to see step eight, and God says if you would just be faithful in one through seven, eight's waiting as a fruit of your willingness to go into that call. That's a word for someone. Your, your need, you're in, you won't go because you say, well, I can't go because there is a need. I, there, there, there is a provision that I need. And God says, be faithful, and I promise you, you'll get what you need because I provide everything. But will you walk into the calling that I've given you? The next two verses in Acts 16, 16 through 18 says this, one day. It's continuing on the ministry. This is the, the second missionary j- in, journey in Europe. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of the shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Something I want to point out, because people ask this sometimes, and this is the perfect way to tell you. The passage in its original language actually means, uh, names the spirit that enabled her. It was called a spirit of Pythona. And if you're in any sort of circle of of, uh, charismatic or Pentecostal, spirit-filled, or whatever you want to call it, churches, or maybe you've just heard it in preaching that you like, this is where you hear some believers mention a spirit of Python. Python was a snake symbol associated with the Greek god Apollo. Now remember, they were in a Roman town where they worshipped Greek gods, okay? So... It was a snake symbol associated with the Greek god Apollo and actually right outside of this town there's a shrine to Apollo um, not far from this missionary journey and the god of uh, the, the god Apollo, the, the Greek god Apollo was known as a god of prophecy among many other things. So this woman was being influenced by a demonic presence that people gave praise to in the false god named Apollo. That's where spirit of python comes from. it. it, it because notice, this woman was a fortune teller, and she goes around telling the fortune, these men have come to see that you get saved in Jesus. She wasn't telling the false information. She wasn't rebuking them. She was simply telling a prophetic word that was not giving glory to God. She was taking it for herself by saying, look at me, look at the fortunes I'm giving. And if you, if we, we're going to read in a minute, um, she was actually making money to give to her master. So this was a totally wrong way to prophesy. It was, it was information that she was never supposed to give credit to. The woman was telling the truth. They, they came to tell you how to be saved. But Paul knew something. He did not need a demon to give credit to his name. Paul knew that the only voice he needed was God's. So he shut the spirit up. Even Satan spoke truth to Adam and Eve but it was twisted because it was not in the name of God and God did not give permission to say what was said. God was not giving this woman permission to say what was said because God had a, had a way for Paul and Silas and all these believers on this journey to minister to these people. And there are too many people that speak on behalf of their own self or other things rather than the purpose of giving God's glory. If you were not speaking on behalf of giving of, for the purpose of giving God glory, you were not being led by God. You're being led by another spirit. And Paul immediately spoke, and he didn't just say come out. He said in the name of Jesus. Why? Cuz demons don't respond to you. They respond to what you represent. And I want to point out through all of this, Timothy was watching and I wonder when you come up with situations to where maybe there's demonic influences or there's people who are trying to influence you in the wrong direction, do your replaceables see authority or do they see fear? When life comes against you, do they see you take a stand or do your replaceables watch you coward and run? What do your children see? What do your spiritual sons and daughters see? Do your replaceables watch you in your walk and do they, do they see confidence? Or do they see someone who's shaky? Continuing on in verse nineteen, talks about her master. Her her master's hope of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city was in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials, "They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice." A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they did not escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Notice that the mob formed against Paul and Silas, and it doesn't name the rest, including Timothy. They had a place to stay. Remember where? With the woman Lydia that opened up her home. You never know what being faithful in one assignment will provide for your next pushback or your next assignment. We are joined together and we're all in this together. And what's about to happen what, to Paul and Silas? Being imprisoned and beaten with rods? Timothy probably wasn't ready for that. This is first. This is Timothy's first time outside of his town. And there needed needed to be a safe place for Timothy that they didn't even know about. And it all came from being faithful to God. And there are some things that your replaceables are ready for, and there are some things they're not. But they will benefit from the testimony of watching you go through it. And because they have been faithful in all these steps up until this point, when it came time for the biggest pushback against Paul and Silas, They're replaceable. Timothy had a safe place to land. And a lot of us don't really understand that being yes people to the call of God, it's not just about you. There are provisions being made for the people connected to you that you'll never understand. But when the pushback comes, it'll all make sense. So Timothy and these people They are about to watch the testimony of push through. Acts 16.25, well, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Do people watch you praise or do they see you change your sound in the face of adversity? Are you leaving a legacy in your replaceables of I shift or I stand firm? Because what you do, people take notice of. And this is a time more like more than any other that when people look at the church, they need to see a, a body that stands firm and that we're not shifting, that we're not running, that we're here to face it. Well, in Acts 16, verses 26 through 34, it says, suddenly, remember, they're praising God, shackled, in the inner dungeon, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Why? Because they were going to do it anyways if he failed in being a jailer. But Paul shouted to the prison, but Paul shouted to them, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. Look at the humility in Paul. He cared so much for this jailer that he did not leave. He stayed to make sure that he was okay. The jailer called for the lights, ran to the dungeon, fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, he was probably thinking saved as in I don't want to get killed. But it was a much deeper question. What do I do to be saved from all this torment that I'm going through? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. And even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house. Look at the boldness of the jailer. He went from committing suicide to let me put these, these people that I'm supposed to take care of. They come into my house tonight. And they set a meal before them and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Nothing can hold you back when you stand firm in him. And because they stood firm, they pushed through, they did not let their faith waver, the entire environment shifted, the jailer cared for them, and, the, and then the whole jailer got saved and the whole family. Even in developing replaceables, Do not let your current situation or your current environment replace the truth of who you are and who he is. Because often when you get in a moment like Paul and Silas where everything's coming against you and you feel shackled, you feel chained, you feel down, you feel like everything's against you, you feel like you're failing, you feel like you cannot breathe, Your mind wants to go to worry and fear, but you need to not just develop replaceables in people, but develop replaceables in your mind. I will praise instead of worry. I will trust and will not fear. I will stand firm and I will not run. I'm going to replace what my automatic thoughts are with the the truth that God will not forsake me. He won't turn against me. He's not going to leave me. Therefore, I'm standing firm. And when you develop those replaceables in your mind about I'll stand firm, I'm going to praise, I'm going to trust, I'm not going to worry, I'm not going to fear. The people who you don't even know who are watching will take notice and their whole lives are changed. The jailer took such notice that he went from being suicidal to I love your God, I love y'all, and I'm going to risk my life for the glory of him. And in verses 35 through 38, The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, well, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to go. Go in peace. But Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. And we're Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. Look at that. Paul stayed in the jail. And when the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. It's interesting. Paul and Silas came with believers into the province of Europe and they did not see them for who they were. Paul was a Roman citizen. But because of the company they kept, They didn't see Romans. All they saw was Jews. What do people see when they see you? The new you or the old you? Paul was walking in such a degree of identity in his call with Christ that the people did not see him as Roman. They saw him in a new identity, in a new form. Paul was a new man walking with Jews and Gentiles, believing in God, and he was walking in such a new identity that no one saw the Roman in him. So they were embarrassed when they came to find that this man who they assumed was something different was actually one of their own and they could not do to them what they did because in order for them to be beaten with rods, they were supposed to go through trial. Verse 39, this is funny. So they came to the jail and they apologized to Paul and Silas. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. And when Paul and Silas left the prison, They returned to the home of, guess who, Lydia, where Timothy and all of them were saying. There they met with the believers. I'm going to read it again. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There They met with the believers, and they encouraged them once more. Then they left town. Timothy may not have been there in the jail with Paul and Silas, but what he saw was a testimony of how to persevere. We need to be a people that stand firm in Christ. And while we develop replaceables and raise up disciples and pour ourselves into others, they see who they are and how to stand in the midst of adversity. They would see that nothing would shake us. We need to be that kind of a church, that kind of a house. Everyone we're pouring into, everyone that watches us, maybe the people who you're not even pouring into, maybe it's people who you have no idea are taking notice. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's a family member. But people are watching and they're seeing are you standing or are you shaken? You're developing replaceables without even knowing it by the testimony of how you push through. That is the church under the headship of Jesus, that we're not shaken that we're ready for any adversity. And the way that we stand firm is we simply have a mindset that he is enough. We are called to develop replaceables, develop disciples, pour ourselves into sons and daughters. And the best way to do it and the most meaningful way to do it is not just in the developing of a craft or a talent, but letting them see where do you stand. How do you make decisions? What moves you in your call? Is it circumstances, is it environments, is it, is it adversity, or is it one thing, the voice of God? And when they see that, the ministry and the work and the foundation that you set, it will flow into the replaceables that we are developing and God will get all glory. It wouldn't be about you. It's letting them know that he is bigger, he is better, And he never leaves us. And we would show them how to push through by our push through. Amen.